This podcast is listener supported. To help us out, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Red Bull Rant. The Red Bull Rant is a free-flowing conversation amongst three lifelong wackos that may contain adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, my friends, to the show that never ends. This is the Red Bull Ramp Podcast, the official Red Bull Podcast of SB Nation and Once a Metro. I'm your host, Jason Ipeco. I'm Pat McDonald. I'm Truman, and this is episode 177, The Great National Team Swindle. Mm, big time. That's a very, very good title. Yeah. I think that should go on the agenda for later, so I have it. All righty. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, United States men's team had uh, two games uh, over the weekend, one on Friday, a 2 nothing loss at Guatemala, on Tuesday, a 4 nothing win versus Guatemala, and on the same dates, the United States uh, U23 team was vying uh, in a playoff for a Olympic uh, spot. They went down to Columbia, got a 1-1 result, and then I think it was a 2-1 loss uh, at home in Dallas, so they are officially out of the Olympics. And again, again. Uh, and again, the U.S. men fail to make it not only out of CONCACAF, but out of a playoff. Yeah. Which, in fairness, the CONCACAF qualifying should have been easier than the playoff. But uh, let's talk about all this. Uh, let's do the senior team first. So, yeah, 2 nothing loss followed by 4 nothing win. What do you guys uh, think about that, Pat? Uh, pfft, I have no idea. I have no idea what to think about Jurgen Klinsmann, this team. Uh, overall, I still think he should probably be let go despite the 4 nothing win, and that's simply because while, you know, on Tuesday night, he showed he's perfectly capable of playing a pragmatic lineup where guys in their natural positions and uh, putting them in the position to win – uh, he demonstrated that very well in 2013. Uh, he, on Friday night, he demonstrated that he just tinkers, 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 and tinkers too damn much, and just these guys fall flat on their face when they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, it, it's this all, probably the last, you know, 16 or so months that this team has been on a roller coaster ride, uh, generally on the downswing. Um, you know, he's been tinkering every freaking game, a different lineup, a different back line. He doesn't create anything that is, you know, that he can build upon. And it ends up biting him in the ass. And the thing is, despite the 4 nothing win, you can't, there's no ability to trust him that he will continue with that style of coaching where he brings in guys like Graham Zussi who know what they're doing, who was, for some reason, you know, um, in the doghouse for all these months for God knows why he's, he's not spectacular, but he's a steady player. And that, and very often that's what the U S needs. They need steady players. Um, you know, and then there's this Kyle Beckerman who, you know, obviously brings a lot to this team because the team performs so very well when he's on the field. But I mean, what he's 33, 30, 34, 35, something like that. I mean, if we're relying on Kyle Beckerman for Russia, 2018, it, again, if they even get to Russia, um, we're in trouble. I mean, Klinsman has not found an adequate younger replacement at six, and he's at the number six position in these couple of years. So, I mean, I still think he should go, and I, this is all despite the fact that in my uh, grand return to Empire of Soccer, I gave him an, an eight rating for uh, Tuesday night. Um, but he won't go. I mean, you know, he, he certainly did save his job, um, you know, because the only person whose opinion in the end matters is Sunil Galati. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think at this point they probably will, uh, qualify for the hex. Uh, but I, I think I still worry about their ability to, um, you know, take, get three points from Trinidad. And I could very easily see Klinsman throwing a crazy lineup out there against St. Vincent and Grenadines because it's St. Vincent and Grenadines, uh, thinking that he can put anyone anywhere and they'll still beat him. And I'll end up just grinding out a draw. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much the state of this team right now. Yeah, tinkering with a lineup is for when you play 
Mexico on a November night at the link. Yeah. In your 400th exhibition game against that team. Yeah. Not in a game that's, I think they call it a World Cup qualifier. I believe that's what they're called. Right? A game that, uh, last time I checked, matters for getting to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So your point's right there is that where was the lineup Tuesday? You know, where was that lineup the game before? Right. Where, where was that? Why, why don't you just throw out the best 11 night in and night out when you're qualifying, not playing? You know, those kind of fuck-around games are for the year after the World Cup, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else is prepping and getting the right guys for that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all that being said, sadly, what did I say last Thursday? That they were going to lose, and then they were going to win. And unfortunately, that's what happened because in that first half, uh, Friday night, that was just listless and, and a lazy-looking team for 45 minutes. Yep. They just they didn't care, and they looked lost. And, of course, they gave up that early first goal, and it was so on it was. I mean, when you go on Twitter and everyone saw it coming, yep. that's when you know it's just the same shit over and over and over again. And, yeah, you better go to Columbus and beat them up. That's, that's what Columbus, Ohio was for. That's what that stadium was for. Plus, like we mentioned, a the stronghead, uh, the, uh, the stronghold of uh, U.S. soccer, um, not even a sellout. Mm-hmm. Sadly enough. So, and I mean, we'll, let's just jump into the Olympic thing. Uh, I, I'm not really going to break down the U23s, but uh, extremely disappointing. Extremely disappointing penalty kick given up in the second half of the first game, and. Uh, they pretty much played in Columbia North, Frisco, Texas, in that second game. And the first thing you saw was just a sea of yellow jerseys. And you're like, oh, I, I guess they're home. I, maybe. Maybe. You know, why weren't they playing in, like, a Columbus-type place? Right. Put them in a tough place to play. Make Columbia take the long travel right. to, to Seattle or, you know, Montana. I don't care. They've got to play to Montana. I'm sure there's a soccer fan or two up there. Make it, but we didn't make it tough on them whatsoever, and they didn't. They felt at home mm-hmm. in, in warm environments. So, it, you know, it's just a letdown. But we've just, it, it's just sad to yet again see no progress made getting to the Olympic Games. And you get when you get to the Olympic Games, there's more eyes watching you of common sports people who might not be a soccer fan, but like, oh wow, here's the U.S. soccer team playing. They're in the Olympics. Let's go watch them play for this thing called the World Cup too. Mm-hmm. If I won't notice that it's different players, but right. it puts eyes on the sport. And yet again, we just failed to do that. If, I wonder if U.S. soccer didn't have control of the time of the match. Because if I was U.S. soccer and I had control of that, I would have put it at Columbus, make it a doubleheader. I'm sure that would have been a little tough to pull off. Uh, Is it? Because you have, I mean, the Gold Cup, rooms. Gold Cup does doubleheaders. Yeah, but I mean... Where they're playing at the Gold Cup as compared to where they're playing right. at Map Fire Stadium <laughs> in Columbus, you know, not quite the uh, the Meadowlands or these big stadiums. It's it, it is you know the Columbus Crew Stadium. I'm sure they could have done something. They could have, but because I mean, you get even half of that crowd to stay or show up early, whichever way you want to do it. Um, that's a much better atmosphere. But I think the bigger point of this is, uh, for the Olympic qualifying is, in the next cycle they have to do better in the CONCACAF qualifying because this is twice now where they have they have failed to qualify during the regional qualifying stage. To, and listen, I, I'm not saying that the United States, or that the U23 team didn't, that they did terrible, but they were going against Columbia, a team that had senior level players, like regular senior level players playing for them. Like, it, it's, it was going to be a tough ask of them to do that well over two games to not only you know come out of Columbia with a good result in a, in a 1-1 draw, but to then get a result at home. I mean, that's the much easier road would have been beating Honduras in CONCACAF qualifying. And right. It. And that's, of that's where it failed. Of course. So people are, of, of course, going to be upset about the Columbia thing because that's what, you know, what have you done for me lately? But it should come down to why did we fail in the regional qualifying? Because this is, I what is it like? Nineteen eighty was the last time we sent a, a a men's team to the Olympics, I think. Or some, it's some weird stretch. Uh, yeah. and, and I, I 
I can't remember if it was you, Pat, or somebody else who said it, but I saw somewhere, maybe it was even Deadspin. Like I just, I some weird article where it's like Clemson's legacy is gonna, it should have been judged not on the four nothing win, but on the loss to Columbia. And his point was was mine was basically it's not necessarily the loss, but it's the fact that they had applied in the playoffs to begin with. Mm-hmm. And not that Clemson controls all of U.S. soccer, but well, it actually does. But Andy Herzog is the one that's making the day-to-day calls for the 23. But my point is, if, you know, we're supposed to be this country that's rebuilding its program, then, and we don't have a bad crop of players at the 23 level, it's just where's the, you know, where is all this stuff going? The, the senior team's been stagnant, the youth team's been stagnant, it's just something's got to give. I mean, I, it is bad. Don't get me wrong. It is, you know, the the U.S. probably should be, you know, qualifying for the the Summer Olympics. Um, you know, but to to be fair, the the youth the youth programs are not always, um, you know, they're not always uh, these youth World Cups, these youth Olympics are not always attended by your soccer powerhouses in the world. Um, you know. Uh, I mean, for example, I mean, in England or in uh, out of Europe, Germany and Portugal. Okay, those are obviously powerhouses. But then you have Denmark and Sweden. I mean, you don't have your Spain, your Italy, your Great Britain. Um, you know, teams like that. Your France. Um, in you know Asia, Iraq qualified. You know, uh, in 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 uh, you know, Africa, South Africa qualified over your Ivory Coast, your Cameroon, you know, so it, it, it can be a little crazy in the youth system. Um, that being that being said, I mean, I think, you know, most of these guys who are on the U.S. Olympic team are either playing, they're playing the trade in Europe, they're playing regularly in MLS, they should be beating teams like Honduras. There's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, And then I guess just my final point in the U23 is that I've seen, read a couple things lately, like, Oh, the U.S. needs to start grooming the center backs of the future, like Tim Parker. <laughs> you saw Tim Parker uh, on uh, Tuesday night. You would worry yeah, about that. Miazga wasn't great either. On yeah. So, although, although he hasn't been playing at Chelsea, so that could be part of it. Yeah. So, but uh, Tim, Tim, well, Tim Parker on that the second goal was just like. Yeah, he wasn't great. Good grief. So to borrow but, a phrase, he did not cover himself in glory. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> And I'll say this, though. I mean, after Columbia scored an own goal, weren't we all rooting for Columbia? Because we know what happened last time Columbia scored an own goal, right? We didn't want that happening again. <laughs> Are you talking about a murder? Uh, I don't know. I didn't say it. You might have assumed it, but I didn't say it. That's so why I go under an alias. They don't know who I am. All right. Uh, so before we move off of the men's team, we do have a voicemail. Uh, Tommy from Bayonne is back. Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, hi, this is Tommy from Bayonne. Um, I just had a question. Um, there was two U.S. games, the men's games last night. I didn't watch them, but I did catch the scores on the Internet this morning. And the over-23 team won, the under-23 team lost. I, I have a question that's really um, bothering me. Uh, Dean Dre Yedlin is, uh, is actually turning 23 this year, but he's on the over-23 uh, team. And then this guy, Christian Pulsick, is uh, also very young, 17 years old. How how are they both on the over 23 team? Okay. Tommy, say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> Pat, as our resident uh, expert, you want to take this one? <laughs> sure. Uh, that's actually a legitimate question. Um, <laughs> uh, Come on, Tommy had a legitimate question last week too. Don't you remember? Did, it's true. It's true. He did. Um, you know, DeAndre Edlin is, uh, you know isn't always the starting right back for the U.S. national team, even though he probably should be the regular starting right back for the national team. So that's why he was up there. But in all seasons, Christian Pulisic, um, you know, they, they probably could have used him uh, for the U23. So uh, I don't know there. That, that's, you know, I guess they were that desperate to cap tie him because he could have gone to Croatia, even though there seemed very little risk that he was going to go to Croatia. Um, but, uh, yeah, he probably, they probably could have used him there down in the U23s, and it might have made a difference. So, yeah. Thank you, Tommy. Tommy, call back anytime. All right, so uh, before we move on to our guest, we have another topic. And uh, this is a sort of a hot-button issue that came up today. And uh, I don't know. Well, ho- hopefully nobody gets offended by 
our opinions, depending on what they are. Because I, I, I honestly have no idea what Pat and Truman think about this right now. But so uh, today, uh, I think it was five United States women's players uh, filed a equal opportunity, uh, or sorry, equal employment opportunity complaint with the uh, United States Equal Opportunity and Opportunity Commission, I think is what it was, the EEOC. Basically, um, something that we've, you've, we've been hearing for years now that uh, the salaries of the women's players compared to that of the men's players uh, does not, are, are not equal. The, the women's players deserve more. And there's a, bu- a bunch of arguments from both sides, and we're not necessarily going to get into them unless Pat and Truman want to bring them up, but uh, let's, without uh, without trying to drag that out, um, we'll start with you, Truman, since Pat went off on the, the men's team first. What are your thoughts on the uh, the complaint and all the stuff surrounding it? Well, I'm going to make it real simple for you guys, real simple. Who's more marketable right now in the U.S.? Is it the women's team or the men's team? I would personally think the women's team because they actually win shit. But I think it's the women's team, too, because not only, yeah, they do win, and men's sports is so piled up with every other sport you can imagine, you know, with men, hockey and basketball and soccer or, uh, you know, baseball, football, blah, 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 blah. The women are very marketable. Hands down. So you know what? You should pay them. You should pay them a shit ton of money because, for fuck's sake, they have to play on stupid-ass turf. You know, that's what FIFA makes them play on. Crappy turf in a World Cup. So you know what? I- I'm sorry. They do deserve the money. And I don't... Whatever happens in the pro leagues, that's the pro leagues. We have no say over that. But I think when it comes to national team players, why not? Why don't they deserve the same exact amount of money? And yeah, Jay... They win. They win all the time. They're winners. When was the last time we had a ticker tape parade for the men's team? 1990 never? So, yeah. Seriously. Give them the cash. Pony up. So, before Pat gets to his thing, I just want to point out that uh, there are national team players in the National Women's Soccer League, and some of these players are paid their professional salaries by U.S. soccer, which is part of the reason that NWSL might have some trouble this year. Um, there's some stuff around this about the, the CBA for the, the national team, which is still going through legal channels, and a uh, possible strike by the national team players and all this other stuff that's going to affect the NWSL. But I just want to make sure that that part is out there. So this is more than just, in, at the end of the day, more than just the women's national team. Although it is the basis for the complaint, but anyway. So, Pat, what are your thoughts on the situation? Uh, well, you know, I first became aware of the issue before even this uh, the, the lawsuit was filed today. Uh, the Daily News wrote a big long article about it about the inequity uh, between the United the men's and the women in the soccer program. Um, and, and there's some first things I think that are definite right away. I mean, they, the the women uh, in FIFA and in throughout FIFA competition and the U.S. national team. They should be playing on grass. I mean, I mean, cut this artificial turf crap. I, I think working conditions absolutely need to be equal uh, immediately, and that needs to be rectified right away. Now, in terms of payment, that's where it gets more complicated. Um, you know, it, it, they did, yes, the United States women did win the Women's World Cup, uh, but the payout uh, from FIFA was significantly smaller. And I think that is the larger crux of the issue, is that uh, while women's soccer is popular here, uh, while it's popular in Canada, uh, and to some extent in some of the European countries, I mean, if you watch the Women's World Cup, the competition is far greater between one and the last team that's in the competition. The gap is enormous. It's not the same as in the men's. And the men's tournament brings in more money. I mean, Trust me, I don't trust FIFA as far as I can spit, you know, in terms of that I'm saying, like, you know, I'm sure they're pocketing way more than they need to when it comes to the Women's World Cup. Um, but they are definitely not making as much from sponsorships. They might be in the United States making equal, but we're just one piece of the whole puzzle. They're not making as much uh, in ter- on a global scale as they would in the Men's World Cup. Um, so, you know, so that's one reason I do believe they're paid less. Now, Again, it gets more complicated than that. I mean, you got to look at it, and and what I think, in many ways, the purpose of this lawsuit is, is to get the United U.S. soccer to open their books and see how much people are making. 
uh, off of specific events between women's games and men's games. Um, and what I do 100% believe is that men's and women's should be paid the exact same percentage of what they, what they bring in from their competitions, you know? So, you know, so that could very well in a women's world cup year, it could very well mean the women get paid more than the men. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, that's my, the percentages should be absolutely equal. Um, but you know, if they're making $1 million in a women's game and $2 million in a men's game, I mean, it's just economics. Unfortunately, you know, I, I don't mean to you mean, sound, you know, unfair or anything like that, but it's really all it comes down to. Um, you know, I, I did, I mean, I know we talked about the women are more remarkable than men. They're more popular than the men. I did some very cursory, um, you know, it's very cursory. So, I mean, you know, there could be something that, uh, totally refutes this, but, you know, looking at ratings and a victory tour match that the women played after last year's world cup, got 300,000 viewers, USA, Iceland in January after a year of garbage for the men's team got 500,000. So, you know, again, I think it just all comes down to the numbers, and that's one thing I absolutely hope the women do get um, the, you know, the U.S. soccer to do is to open the books, see how much they're making off them, and then I do believe they should argue that they get the exact same percentage of those, uh, you know, whatever percentage of the revenue uh, goes to bonuses for the men, that percentage of revenue should go to the women. There's no absolutely no question about that. Um you know, I, I will say this much. I think that if it was higher than the men, I think they would refuse to go to Rio because then the U.S. could not afford for that to happen. I think they would strike. Uh, that's why I think this is more about them getting to, them to open the books and just show that they do deserve more. But I, I, pers- I could be wrong. I'm well aware I could be wrong, uh, but I, I don't think it will be more than the men. Well, it- I mean, there's obviously a major issue when, like we said already twice, when they're literally playing on different footing due to the mm-hmm. fields they have to play on, there's, the, the issue is right there. The issue is right there, and it just keeps building after that. Yeah. It's, it's already showing. You look at the field. When they go to Hawaii and they're playing on, they want them yeah. to play on a dirt field. Yeah, that was ridiculous. There's a sign that the U.S. Soccer Federation is not giving a shit and going, hey, FIFA, this is pretty fucked. It's, you know, it's kind of, I put it on the same level as a salesman, you know, so to speak. If you had a male salesman and a woman salesman, you're not going to put the male salesman in a cushy office. And I'm all, uh, just, I know there's some people who say, well, that does happen. But, you know, they're not going to put the male salesman in a cushy office and a woman in a closet. You know, they're going to put them in the same office, you know. And then when they each make, if they each make a sale, they're going to get the same commission, you know. Uh I'm sure there are instances where that may not happen, but, you know, just for argument's sake, you know, that, and so in essence, that's where I look. For what the women sell, they get that percentage, that exact same percentage as to what the men sell. And, yeah, we said it multiple times, working conditions, field, travel, such, need to be equal. That's right off the bat. Yeah, so my whole thing with this is fair pay for the same amount of work. Um, what that level of fair pay is, I have no idea. Uh, I could take this down a rabbit hole of, I think, in general, athletes get paid a lot more than they probably should get, but that's a whole other thing we're not going to get into. Right. I will say that at least from an NWSL level, that the, the women deserve more. I mean, you have, I, I think, I, I think it was maybe, I forget which city it was in, but you had like two women living in a nursing home because the rent was cheaper than finding you know, their own housing. And I, this this part has nothing to do with the national team, but, like, when shit like that is going is happening in a league that was paid for and supported by, at least at the beginning, but the Canadian Federation, the U.S. Federation, and the Mexican Federation, there is a huge problem in, in where these people are getting paid from because and I, I don't know what the current situation is, but as I remember stories of... The like the women's players for the, the national teams are getting a shit ton of money versus some of the players who were like on the the bottom run of the NSL not e- or NWSL not even getting like official contracts worth like twenty thousand dollars a year. So there's a whole bunch of problems well, in the women's game. Yeah, uh, welcome to Major League Soccer. Yeah, uh, no, I you know, but 
the economics of Major League Soccer were different back in 1996 versus now. I mean, soccer right. has grown in, as, as a, a sport. has grown since then in the United States, so there should be more money. I, I don't know the financials, so I can't say one way or the other what is actually happening, but in general with the women, both the national team and the, the domestic league, something has to give and something's got to be fixed. How that exactly has happened, I have no idea because there's a shit ton of stuff there I have no part in. But something something's yeah. wrong, obviously. Yeah, I will say that much about the NWSL. I mean, what I think it was in Daily News article they paired it out like the women on the low end uh, of the salary scale are making basically less than minimum wage. I don't know how that's possible. Um, that's something that needs to be rectified. Because um, it, it, was it over? Is it, are they taking it over the course of a year or over the course of the season? Because that could uh, be the problem. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember how uh, they doled it out in the article. They just said that it came out to something like. Like five, uh, three or five dollars an hour, something like that. Um, you know, I, I, again, I don't know how that's how you can ask anybody ask ask anybody to work for that wage. Um, then the scary side of it is, then if you did raise the minimum wage, um, do you still have an NWSL? I mean, that that's the catch twenty two here. Um, and it's not, and I'm not saying because investors can't afford it, can't afford the losses, but um, will they? You know. Uh, will they do the losses? So it's 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 tough. It's 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 tough, you know, because um, you can't force anybody to fund a women's soccer team. So the NWSL, it's a definitely a tough decision there. Um, and again, you know, whole crux of my argument again: equal working conditions, no doubt, and then percentages the exact same on bonuses compared to revenue. And I, when you mentioned. When you, as you were talking about the NWSL thing, I think part of the problem also is, and this is not this is not just soccer, but when athletes go to other states to play, they have to pay taxes based on where they played. So you have all these different kind of taxes you have to worry about, which may take more money at, than what they probably should have gotten if they had just stayed in. Like, let's say let's use Sky Blue, right? Let's let's say for argument's sake, it was like five percent income tax, and you go play in Portland where it's seven percent. You go play in uh, Maryland, because that's where the, the Washington Spirit play, and for them it's like six percent. You go to Seattle, and it's like eight. So that twenty-five thousand dollars salary now gets even more reduced because your salary you're making in those other states is coming down because of those taxes, and it's just I I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else? Are we, are we good with this topic? For now, yes, I think we are. Until, until we see what uh, comes of this court case, we can discuss it some more. Okay. All right, so with that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have uh, Jake and Katniss from the Benton Musket. We're going to talk about Red Bulls. Uh, referees. Remember them? Remember the Red Bulls guys? Yes. They actually, they actually have a game coming up. Yeah, yeah. weird. Oh, this, that's right. This podcast is called the Red Bull Rant. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? I forgot about that. Yeah, we don't have any I mean, we spent 20 plus minutes on the United States, but, you know, whatever. We actually have Red Bulls to talk about. Anyway, we'll be back with more Red Bull rant right after this. Welcome back to the Red Bull Rant. Today we want to welcome back to the show for the first time this year from <clears throat> thebentmusket.com, uh, Once Metro's sister blog covering the New England Revolution, Jake Katniss. Jake, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Hey, look, I can actually, I, I know it's a repeat guest, but I can say a name. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> say, say it five times, he gets it. Jake Katniss, Jake Katniss, Jake Katniss, Jake Katniss. <laughs> Dick Katniss. Boom! Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Can he spell it? Dynamite. Dynamite radio there. Slack. Can he spell it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to turn the camera on so you can watch my eyes. Ready? C-A-T-A-N-E-S-E. Damn. Look at that, man. He's on top of things. With a name like like, like Iapico, I should know some bad names. This is true. (laughs) So uh, you were complaining before we started. Um, the only time Red Bulls will be traveling to New England, and it's on a Friday night. It's uh, got to be fun for you guys, huh? 
Uh, I mean, let me let me be very clear here. Uh, since, considering I live three hours away in Fairfield County, Connecticut, I'm not really making up to games on Fridays or Wednesdays, or for that matter, any game basically any year. So, as far as from a rivalry standpoint, I understand why you want to put this game on national TV. I just don't understand why the one of the three games I could buy it, but it's one of only two games this year. So to have one of these games on a Friday. Early in the year in New England, it's going to be cold, it's going to be windy, it's going to be miserable. I don't understand if you're trying to promote your best rivalries um, on Friday night. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I, I can watch the game on Unimas. I don't mind the Spanish commentary. I can't listen to MLS SAP anyway. But I don't get it. I don't get this from a scheduling standpoint. Um, I think for New England fans in particular, it's very disappointing. Uh, this would normally be one of the biggest games of the year, and we only get one of them. It's on a Friday night in miserable conditions. The crowd is going to be garbage, less, less than <laughs> stellar, even by New England standards. Like, you know, this game in the past, I'm sure, has drawn twenty five or 30,000 at Gillette, which is fairly good. Um, but now this is... Uh, to say that it's a disappointment would be, I think, an understatement for, for the Revolution fan base. Speaking of disappointment, uh, the starts by both of these teams, uh, very underwhelming, where the Red Bulls had to fight back several times to finally come back and win, uh, New England without a win yet, so we know where we stand with our team, what is going on up there, and uh, just don't say Jermaine Jones, because we're all glad he's gone. <laughs> well, I don't think it's it's a, it's a any one problem. Um Jeff Lemieux, who's the um, RevolutionSoccer.net online host, put out a stat earlier that said the Revolution have created the most big chances in the league so far this year, according to Opta, or one of the top teams in the league creating chances, but they've only finished one of them. So if you're looking for the reasons why the Revolution have zero wins this year and three draws, that's probably it. Um, the other reason for me is essentially, you know, this is only the second home game to the Revs, they finished two games back-to-back with ten men. So there's a lot of things that are going right for the Revolution. There's also some things that are going wrong on the field. Um, so I think being early in the year, saying that you have three results from your first four games um, isn't bad. But to have three points from four games, it's a little unfair to what the Rebs have played because at times they've played very well, even with ten men against New, England, uh, against New York City FC last week. They arguably could have won that game. Um, you know, one mistake that doesn't get, you know, past Bobby Shuttleworth in Houston, you'd be talking about an opening day win on the road. So, you know, it's nothing, I think, to where the Revolution are worried right now, but there is, I think, a sense of urgency. It You need to get over the hump. You're at home. It is on a national TV game. It is a rivalry day. This would be a very good time for the Revolution to break out and get that first win uh, if they can pull it off in a miserable day in Foxborough. No, I don't like that idea at all. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you listed a bunch of uh, reasons there as to the current status of the revolution, but uh, how much is this team missing Jermaine Jones right now? Um, I think they're missing him a little bit. I think early on, the first first couple games in particular, I think Gershon Kofi has been fine, at least on the defensive side. What, what the revolution are going to miss from Jermaine Jones is what he brought to the attack. And in particular, when the Revolution are on the counterattack, they are, as far as I'm concerned, the most dangerous team in the league running the counter. And Jermaine Jones would pick out Teal Bunbury or Aikidelo or Fagundes on these long diagonals that would just open up the defense. And right now, that particular pass isn't happening enough for the Revolution. Um, the Revolution, like I said, they're creating chances. They're doing well sometimes in possession. They're doing well on some of the build-up play. And they're getting good opportunities to shoot, and either they're not taking it or they're not capitalizing on those opportunities. So I think it's a little bit of adjusting not only to Jermaine Jones, but to, you know, Charlie Davies has, you know, missed a game up front. You're rotating around striker. You're still sort of figuring out who the pieces are around Lee Wynn, how Kofi fits into the middle. Um, you know, little adjustments that I think, in the first month of the season, you're going to look past. You're not going to remember them later on in the year. But they are little things that you notice now while the team is struggling a little bit on the offensive end. Um, 
But I think for the most part, Jermaine Jones, I don't think they miss him, at least on the defensive side. Um, Gershon Kofi has no problem going in for challenges. He, as everyone noticed, picked up a red card um, last week. He's not going to be available um, to start against the Red Bulls. So I think the enforcer role that Jones had is is filled, and now they're just trying to sort of figure out how best to run the offense or run the counterattack without Jones now uh, in New England. I figure when you say uh, when he joins in on the attack, you mean attack as in slight scissor tackling guys breaking ankles, not actually no, like scoring no. goals. Now, now wait a minute. How dare you, sir? Because <laughs> I can always come back to that one time. I think it was 18-year-old or 19-year-old Matt Miazga absolutely scythed down Lee Wynn in the middle of the uh, Red Bull uh, arena. What? No. That, and, that and never for the record, we also agree about that particular foul on, on your boy, Dax McCarty, because that was, um, was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word, just bad, huh? That, that's it, just bad. Well, you know, it's Not bad. egregious. <laughs> so um, our listeners may not know this, but you, you're kind of focusing, on, when you write for Ben Musk, you focus more on the refereeing aspect, because I, if I'm not mistaken, you are actually a certified referee. Yes, right? we okay. use that phrase loosely because I am a grade eight entry level referee. <laughs> well, but we've that's... been doing this for a long time, and we do have a oft written column. We haven't written it yet this year, mostly for time issues. Um, but yes, the, some of the refereeing things. If you guys have questions, I know I've done guest posts on Once a Metro before to ease some of the pain and suffering that you guys have felt at times. And I have a feeling this is about to go to my boy, Mark Geiger. Well, that's who's in, it's the, part, who's in the middle part of for it. this game. Part, Mark Geiger is part of it. It's just, okay. so let me, let me get, so you, you are a quote certified referee. You, you, you do write this posts about refereeing incidents and calls that are made. Um, it seems like at the beginning of this year there have been a lot of bad calls made, um, and I, I know in terms of the chat that we have for uh, SB Nation that there, there's been some consternation among, among the blogs about the referees. But what are your overall thoughts? I, this is something we rarely rarely talk about in this context because it's always me bashing referees. But in the, <laughs> what do you think about so far, like the first four weeks of the season, the quality refereeing in MLS? Um, I think. The way that I'll phrase it is this. Soccer right now is going through a major transitional period with how the game is officiated. And the immediate impact that this has is you're going to see a lot of straight reds for things that we have seen in years past only be punished by yellow cards, if punished by a card at all. Um, If you look at the red card from Gershon Kofi last week, it's late. It's on the ground, but it studs into the ankle. And we've seen that not just from referees on the field, but from the disciplinary committee this year say, no, that's a red card. And what we're, what this, the issue that you're always going to have is can we get that to be called consistently on the field? Because it's not fair to the teams who lose a player by the disciplinary committee because, well, now New England's without a player for 60 minutes and a game as opposed to, well, just a game. So when we say that it's a bad call, it's not so much that it's a bad call as that it's more of a new call. And we have to, as fans and players and coaches, get used to the idea of you can't slide tackle anyone from the side now and catch them late in the ankle with your studs because that's bad. That's endangering the safety of an opponent now. Um, Some of the plays I remember, um, Fisher in Seattle, that weird two-legged, I'm going to jump and land on my buttocks and almost some guy's leg play. And people were saying, but he got the ball. Guys, we were past the got the ball argument five or six years ago. It's no longer about getting the ball. You have to win the ball so cleanly now that in the rules of the game and the way that it's being officiated now, that even attempting a slide tackle from any direction that's not in front of or directly from the side of a player can be punished by a red card if you get it wrong. And that's what we need to focus on. Not that the calls are bad, per se. It's that the calls are being called differently in a way that should make the game better. We're not trying to take slide tackling out of the game. We just want players to realize if you're two yards behind a guy, kind of in this blind spot, and you scythe him down, it's not going to be a tactical yellow anymore. It's going to be a straight red card. And you just want players to make better decisions 
rather than just slide in desperately because, well, you're trying to stop a counterattack. Let the counterattack happen. That's the ultimate goal is to promote a little bit of offense. But more importantly, it's to keep players safe. We don't need guys jumping in with two feet off the ground, late, from behind, all of these things. Um, so I, w- I would deal with that aspect of the red cards in that way. As far as a lot of the penalties that I've seen, I would classify still several of them as quote-unquote soft. And what I mean by that is if you're going to call some of these fouls inside the box, then when I see things like shirt pulling and jumping over people, those are also things that need to be called because those are far more blatant than a lot of the calls that are being awarded now. Um, I know the Revolution were on the wrong end of two penalties uh, in Philadelphia. Now, I know Bobby Shuttleworth saved both of them, and we can say ball don't lie and all those things, but what you want to see is you want to see these things not so much even out. You just want to see it called consistently. And a month into the season, we're still sort of trying to figure out what that consistency is, um, especially on things like penalties. I think the red cards, for the most part, we're getting them right, or at least, um, even though we might think they're harsh, we're at least seeing those things being decided on the field or by the discipline committee as red cards, and, they're see- and you're seeing more suspensions. And I don't necessarily think that part's a bad thing. It's getting the consistency part right. So what you're saying is if Rafa Marquez came back to MLS, he'd be red-carded as soon as he walked onto the grass. It, it's entirely possible that there... And that's what I said the same thing about um, John Vendeville in, in L.A. And I thought to myself, God, you're going to bring in all these guys that are just going to commit these fouls that are going to be, you know, five, six years ago, they were probably just yellows. But now, I mean, you can't just, you know, bowl through someone... Um, I think it was Darwin, Darwin Sarez for Orlando, if I'm, I'm not pronouncing that right, I'm sure, um, who just shoulder-charged someone in the back. And the referee was like, no, you did that on purpose. It's violent conduct. Get off. Serious foul play, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and those, those were the type of plays that I was far more fearful of going into the year with some of these players. And it turns out that what we're just seeing now is, you know, midfielders and fullbacks just making just challenges that they shouldn't even be making. And that, I think, is sort of the punishment of, it's really not an egregiously awful foul, but um, I think it was Charles Bain who said, I don't think we should give guys more than one opportunity to do something really stupid that might injure someone. And he's not wrong when he says that. All right, so this Friday, uh, the Red Bulls travel up to your New England Revolution in a house of horrors. That's always been a house of horrors for the team, for the most part. And, and, uh, and they, everywhere. <laughs> and they will be without uh, their two starting defenders, their first backup starting center back, and possibly without their starting left back. How do you feel about New England's chances this Friday? Well, uh, we I, I have seen the injury report, and I will counter with the New England Revolution suspension report, which has, um, for international, from international duty, um, Javon Watson is still yet to serve a red card he received. He was playing with Jamaica, and Gershon Kofi, uh, holding midfielder, will also be out. So the Revolution are pretty much set it right back. Watson got traded in right at the end of the year and came in and was just like, he's the starter, and that was perfectly fine. Um, it's a very good Revolution back line. Gershon Kofi is going to be a little bit more of an interesting replacement. Um, the first game of the year, Jay Heaps, for some strange reason, started Scott, um, Kellen Rowe. Uh, over Scott Caldwell, which is more of a fitness issue um, since I think uh, Caldwell is battling a little bit of an illness. But it's been Scott Caldwell pretty much starting at that position for basically the last two or three years uh, since he signed as a homegrown player. I would suspect, if you're making the best like-for-like change, that Daigo Kobayashi, the equalizing hero in Houston, would get the start. He's probably the best-suited box-to-box type role um, I don't necessarily think Rowe as a holding midfielder is a great idea, but this might be a game where having more of your technical players and more of your you know skilled players like that in the middle of the field in the build-up play might actually help the Revolution, um, regardless of if the Red Bulls were at full strength or not. So it's sort of what matchup will Jay Heaps play? Does he want to sort of get his best 11 players out onto the field, which is something I never really like, or does he want to put his best guys in his best formation? And for the Revolution, the 4-2-3-1 has been what they've almost used the last two and a half, three years. So I would expect to see Kobayashi in the midfield. He can always be subbed off or or moved around late in the game. Um, But I I think if if you're looking at it from a Red Bulls standpoint, uh, you know, of course we're happy. It's, It's, you know, a Red Bulls team that's not necessarily at full strength, a lot of moving parts. 
Um, Matt Piazza is not walking through that door, which, among other issues, would solve a lot of problems um, in Harrison. Um, so, of course, we're excited, but it's also, you know, the Revolution have their own issues uh, to deal with right now, and they're not exactly finding the back of the net on days when they're prepared to succeed with a full-strength lineup. So even with these advantages, it's nothing guaranteed, I don't think, with the way the Revolution have played. So what is your score prediction? Um, I'm going to keep this one real simple. I'm going to, I want to apologize to Luis Robles in advance because there are <laughs> going to be bad conditions in New England. He's going to give up a goal that he's going to wish he had back, but it's going to be a 1-0 win for the Rebs. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be brutal. There will be very few shots on target. There will be very few scoring opportunities. Um, this is one of those games where, honestly, if you actually tied this game, I don't think anyone would really complain all that much. There's something about early season games in Foxborough with the wind or the weather or just there's always something about this stadium in March or early April that's just you almost, even as the home team, just want to take your point and just run. But the Revolution are unfortunately not in a spot where they can do that. They really need three this week. And uh, I think that they'll get it uh, at the expense of, unfortunately, a less than stellar effort from Luis Robles in goal on some bouncing ball in the box that probably doesn't deserve to go in. But Ouch. Sorry. I like Luis Robles. I, I, I have no problems if he started for the U.S. national team right now. I'm, I want to say that in all honesty, but that's it's just it's one of those, I think, games for the Red Bulls where it's just you want to get as many people back from Foxborough healthy. All right, so before we let you go, one more thing. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give me an answer. No explanation required. Undertaker or Shane McMahon? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know this was coming, Pat. Come on. Oh, you know what? I, I cannot say no to The Undertaker. Okay. That's, just, that's, all, that's all I got. Just, I, can't, I can't say no, no to The Undertaker. I, I said no explanations, so... I know. Just, uh, as, so. As, much, as much as I love seeing my friends with the old uh, the Shane O'Mac uh, vines and the entrance and that whole thing, uh, no, I, I, I would be rooting for Tate. All right, so... Now, before we let you go, of course, you got to give me a chance to promote yourself. So where can people find you and your writing online? Uh, as always, um, theventmusket.com, sbnation.com, slash MLS or slash soccer. You should always be going uh, to the .com site anyway. Um, on Twitter, at uh, jcatnese43, as we spelled out earlier, C-A-T-A-N-E-S-E. Um, a lot of uh, fun things so far this year. Um, really, uh, as always, you should be uh, reading up on Stephanie Yang, what she does for our site, and also Stars and Tribes FC with her women's coverage of the NWSL and the women's national team. Um, you know, we're looking forward to tomorrow. I'm looking forward to uh, brushing up on my Spanish again. Um, and yeah, it's uh, bummer we're getting this the uh, first appearance out of the way so early. It feels weird knowing there's only one more of these shows for me possibly left. <laughs> I'm very upset. You know, when we when we faced DC United, I think it was three times by the time June came around. That was disappointing. So <laughs> I do remember that. There's something about these schedules. You always think like, oh yeah, they're balanced. Then you end up, why are we playing Montreal three times in the in like final six games of the year? I don't understand this. But I don't know. It's one of those things. All right. Well, Jake, thanks for taking time out to uh, come talk to us. Um, like you said, bentmusket.com. Uh, we'll be back with more Red Bull rant right after this. Welcome back to Red Bull Rant. Once again, I want to thank uh, Jake for coming on the show. You can read his stuff at thebentmusket.com. Now we have to talk about the New York Red Bulls coming back from international break, taking on a New England Revolution side that, as Jake said, uh, will be missing some players of their own due to suspensions and other things. That game is on Friday, April 1st, because why not make it an April Fool's Day, right? Uh, Uh-oh. Maybe it's not a real game. <laughs> uh, that game is 7 p.m. at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Uh, game will be broadcast live on Unimas. That's the real April Fool's Day joke, is that this game is on Unimas. Unimas! 
would it be kind of would it be kind of funny if the uh this was supposed to be the Spanish broadcast was the English broadcast? So everybody that put M on on a MLS SAP is now listening to the actual Spanish broadcast. Uh, or they were listening to quality announcing and not crap announcing like they usually have there. Well, that'd be, that'd be a joke. yeah. What a prank that would be. I don't know. All I know is I'll be at uh, Derby Road watching it. So if you're listening and you live in the Union County area, come Derby Road tomorrow night. There you go. All right. So as usual, we have to predict our match. Um, quick recap on the standings. Pat and I tied for first with one point. Truman has zero points. Uh, Whoa, excuse me? Wait. You know what? I'm sorry. I didn't actually have it open, so I might have misread that. I think Pat is... That's zero. Yeah, um, that's, that's my mistake. Truman yeah. and I are tied with one point and Pat's zero. You know what I also Thank have zero? You. I have zero championship belts in my house, so... <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah. It's called I haven't been to a game yet. <laughs> All two of them. Been in New Jersey. I've been doing other stuff when I've been in New Jersey. You know yeah. this. We talk. Um, yeah. I'm more important. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I'll have to mail you the belt at this point. Or unless we actually do get a chance to see each other, then we can do it. Um, all right. So predictions, Pat, you're up first. What do you think is going to happen on Friday? They got to lose. Uh, the Ripples are not – they're not winning on Friday. Uh, I don't think they're drawing either. I mean, you know, Zubar's out. Ba's out. Kamar Lawrence may very well be out on the back line. I mean, I think at this point we got a guy with an eye patch and uh, Billy the Hobo who uh, panhandles before and after the game was just signed by that team to play defense. Um, I know New England has had their struggles, um, you know, but it's just defense has been our struggle, even when we've had uh, our best possible players on the field. Um, so I, I just don't see – and, you know, if the – the, the, the Revs can get their young attackers going, which, you know, they, so far they haven't this season. Uh, the Rebels are in serious trouble. Um, you know, our, our only hope is that the offense, which finally came alive last week, continues to do what they, uh, continues to do what they did then and last season and uh, get some goals on the board. But uh, right now I'm not seeing a victory here. Uh, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Revs win. Um and uh, let's just hope uh, I'm wrong. And uh, despite my bad prediction, you still come to Derby Road. Yeah, because there's beer. We can drink it away. It's cool. I am hoping you will be wrong, too. And I'm thinking you will be wrong because I think the offense has woken up, even though that was a, a very long uh, couple weeks ago. But I think they're going to score a couple goals here. But they will definitely be giving up a couple goals here with whoever is playing in that back line. I think they actually re-signed Alexei Lawless. Uh, who's going to sign for the Reds and then resign for us in a mid-game trade, come play defense, get some maple full state pranking going on. I like a 2-2 draw. Uh, by hook or by crook, I think they come out of there with a point, and I think the Reds fans feel crazy with getting it another draw early on. So why not come up there, go up there, get a couple goals, and come home with a goal point though? Uh, I think... I'm with you on the 2-2 draw. Maybe not the 2-2 part, because I want to be different. i gotta, I got to make sure I get those points. Uh, I'm going to go 1-1. Um, I just, it just feels like the Red Bulls, with the three injuries in the back line, are not going to have that great of a time against uh, New England. But I feel like Friday night, coming off an international break, New England's missing some guys. They're not going to be necessarily up for it either. So I think maybe just a very... Slow one-one draw with some lucky goals, and yeah, that's it. That's where I'm going with it. I I do like uh, Jake's idea that you're going to see the angry goalies <laughs> in this game, and if if there is bad weather or wind or whatever's going to go on up there, uh, I can definitely picture picture that just angry Robles yelling at himself, or yelling at whoever's playing that back line. He may not have Tourette's yet, but he will by the end of this game. And uh. Who, who was the who were the two guys you said we're gonna sign, Pat? I don't uh, know. I said a guy with an eye patch and uh, Billy the Hobo who panhandles before and after games at Robo Arena. I will say Billy the Hobo probably is scrappy, which you can use on defense. Yeah, I, but I don't think he's allowed to bring his knife on the field. Oh, he'll bring his knife on the field. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> he'll find a way. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, dumping ground. Oh, right before we do dumping ground, 
We, let's actually tr- Tam- Truman's terrible team of the week first, because there's a reason for this. So Truman, what's your terrible team of the week? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go with America on this one. I think just dropping the ball uh, in Guatemala, just dropping the ball at home against Colombia, it just makes me mad because I didn't see any progress get done this weekend. So, oh, America, you're in trouble. We gotta make that team great again, guys. We gotta make them great. We gotta build walls, keep them Colombians out of our country, so they don't get <laughs> in them Olympic games. Buddy. That's it's, you make America, a good point. Hey, look, that's what the Republican Party, that's how the Republican Party get Trump out of the election. They make him the soccer technical director. Boom. <laughs> Solving America's problems here on the Now Rebel Rant. And then so he could bankrupt U.S. soccer. Nobody gets paid. So, at least, hey, at least there's equal pay, right? <laughs> if nobody has no money, nobody gets paid. <laughs> all right, I'm going to get all the money, everybody. going to take it all from the women and the men. <laughs> I will just have that money, and I will disperse it. Among uh, my my hair product and Trump alcohol. I will turn U.S. soccer into a casino. That doesn't even make sense. All right, so uh, time for the dumping ground. Um, we are gonna I'm gonna preface this. Uh, it is WrestleMania weekend, so oh, yeah. like always, oh, we're gonna do WrestleMania yeah. stuff. But we are going to first talk soccer, and then when we are done, we will let you know. So that point, you can turn off the podcast if you do not care about WrestleMania. And, and I uh, promise we'll keep the WrestleMania thing brief because most of it's going to be fucking terrible. Well, yeah. yeah. All right, so dumping ground, soccer edition. Anything you guys want to talk about? Well, when I was up in uh, Massachusetts uh, this past weekend, and I was going uh, driving close to where the airport is up there, there were four big billboard signs very close to each other talking. I, I, the gist of the thing was, do you think we have problems uh, working in America? Well, look at the pretty much immigrant workers dying building states in Qatar, Qatar, however you want to call it. And I, I was stunned. I was stunned seeing, like, four gigantic billboards about that. Because, first of all, when do I see anything about soccer? Anyway. And then pointing out uh, the human rights issue going on. And I'm just going to say it again, guys, and maybe I haven't made this point clear, but I think it's an absolute joke if the World Cup is still played there, and it's a bigger joke if the U.S. Soccer Federation um, doesn't boycott the game. I don't care how much money you make from those. Using what's equating to slave labor to build stadiums, is, it's disgusting. And I would be, I'd be ashamed of a team that played there, and I'd be ashamed of fans who actually would consider going there and, and staying in that country. Speaking of which, they're talking about possibly having to sleep out in tents if you're go, traveling to uh, the World Cup th- that year. Yeah. Good. You know what? If, you, if they play the World Cup there, I want you to go sleep at the fall in the heat. Please yeah. do. because that's, that's actually what you deserve for going out there and, and putting money in that country's pocket. It was killing, killing workers and keeping them in, like, pretty slave camps. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really a shame. And then, you know, the Amnesty International report came out today, uh, which, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, Amnesty International says they're being mistreated and dying. Well, like, no shit, we knew that. Um, it, it really is. It's bad. I mean, the United States should boycott. They, I wrote an article a long time ago saying the United States should support moving this World Cup to another Asian Federation team. Like, I know Australia was in the running uh, for that World Cup. Uh, they should, that's what they should do so it doesn't just look like sour grapes. Um, but you, you know, it, it really is terrible. Um, I, I, I really don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, because money talks, unfortunately in this world and it talks a little too loudly. And, uh, but I, I can only hope that, you know, the U S soccer does the right thing. I mean, they, they're already come out and said they won't play a game in North Carolina because of, uh, anti-homosexual, uh, laws that are possibly being discussed and put on the books. So then why can't you say um, you refuse to play in a country that also has anti-homosexual laws on the books and is actively killing people in the process of preparing for their said World Cup? But, and, and, you know, it's funny, you know, we'll play in North Carolina, we'll play in Russia. <laughs> yeah, good point. Not much better. Not much better. Yeah. I, I guess we have, I guess in this country it's like, it's like, we can't do anything wrong, but if another country does something wrong, eh, whatever. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll just close your eyes, stay in the hotel, and go to you. That's pretty much their theory of it. Yeah. And buy, buy Pepsi and Budweiser. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else? 
soccer related? I think that's exactly yeah, what Yeah, Henry was on the uh, Gary Henry was on the late late show kicking the balls at the host base. So that was well, there you go. <laughs> Let's check that out. All right. So on that note, um, if you are not interested in wrestling, this is before, actually wait before you go real quick. You can follow us at onespectrum.com slash red hyphen bull hyphen rant. Patreon patreon.com slash red bull rant. Uh, support us. Red bull rant at gmail.com if you want to email us. If you want to call us like Tommy from Beyond, 973-348-5239. Facebook.com slash Red Bull Rant on Twitter at Red Bull Rant. At Dr. Stooge for myself. At PMAC D82 for Pat. At the Truman for Truman. Subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud.com slash Red Hyphen Bull Hyphen Rant. All right. Now to the wrestling. If you are, do not care about it, you can, just, you can turn it off. Because it's going to be wrestling for the rest of the show. So. But we're still hilarious. These fights keep all right, so I'm only going to pick some matches, not every single one, because there's 11 okay. matches here. We're not going to go through every single one. So Kalisto versus Ryback on the pre-show for Garbage. WWE. Garbage. Okay. Uh, just for don't, the. Don't even say pre-show. Don't even say pre-show. No, I have Keep to do moving. this one. I have to do this one just for the hysterical value. The quote total divas with Ava Marie uh, versus Bad One. This uh, so trash. The, the setup. Next. By the way, the setup for this was so bad that on the, the Hulu 90-minute edition, they didn't even show the setup for that pre-show match. Good. Good. All right, we're gonna skip the we're gonna skip the rest of the pre-show. Um, New Day versus League of Nations for the tag team championships in a three-on-four handicap match. Well, it's not for the tag team champions anymore, so it's basically a worthless match. What? Not, not, yeah, not for not for the tag title. Sorry. Nope. Why? What the hell happened? To, uh, because they're dumb. Remember uh, what was last year when they decided not to have the women's belt up for grabs? This is stupid, and this match, I love the New Day. And, uh, what do you do? What the fuck? Oh, my God. I, I, I just don't get it. All right, anyway. Uh, I'm only saying this because it's. I need to say one thing after this. Andre Giant, Memorial Battle Royal, stupid. Should be on the pre-show. Um, yep, appreciate it. AJ Styles versus Chris Jericho. That would be a great match, AJ Styles. Great match. Jericho doesn't need to Great match, but should not be version four of the match. No. Um, Kevin Owens defending his champion, Intercontinental Championship in a seven-way ladder match. I, I don't get any predictions here. You're not talking. Well, you never asked. Well, I didn't ask Truman. He just jumped right in. See how that works? Yeah, before I even had a chance, you you're like, match. match. All right, fine. That's like a baseball prediction, man. you got to barge in. Uh, fine. Well, first of all, for the New Day match, are Budios a real cereal? No. I wish it works. That'd be awesome, but no. Yeah, okay, then. Then, um, I don't know. Then I have no prediction for that much. Uh, Jericho, Styles. <laughs> uh, Jer- I'll go go with uh, Styles because he's new. There you go. Well, he's new to WWE, so yeah. yeah. All right. Kevin Owens, internet defending his champ- Intercontinental Championship seven-man ladder match. Uh, it won't be Zack Ryder. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> How else would that be? <laughs> and if it's Zack Ryder, I'll celebrate all night long. But it won't. Uh, Goldberg makes his long awaited return and wins. <laughs> Goldberg said he would actually wrestle if they paid him. <laughs> so, I mean, if everything talked to him. If they talked to him anyway. Um, all right. Charlotte defends her Divas Championship versus Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Oh, I hope it's, I hope it's Sasha. Uh, but I think Becky's going to win. I think you're going to hold Sasha off for a little bit more. Yeah, much like last year, the winner will be men. Well, last year there was no Divas match. Or but Divas there was, there was a Divas match. match, there was just no championship. Yeah. Let it be noted that from what I've read, this is the last time the Divas title will be defended because it will then become the women's championship. Which oh, is wow. Why, which is why I think it's going to be Sasha Banks. Oh, socially progressive okay. WWE. I, I, I don't. You realize the nineties ended. If, <laughs> if they were going to rename the Divas Championship to the Women's Championship with Charlotte, it would have happened already. Sasha is more likely to do it kayfabe wise than Becky is. So, my, my other prediction: uh, Charlotte's going to keep trying to make woo happen for her. <laughs> well, all right. Um, Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar in a no holds barred street fight. That is match to be off. Uh, I say Brock wins, and hopefully. Uh, Ambrose just does use that chainsaw and cuts Brock's arm off. That'll be pretty sweet. Mm. 
That'd be cool. I'm down with that. Chainsaw. I predict Chainsaw. I didn't watch. I didn't watch him when he was this character, but Johnny Moxley would be great right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, last two matches. Uh, I'm gonna go with the title first because the other one probably has more uh, name notice to it. Triple H versus Roman Reigns for the WWE title. So uh, the call the stupid, will be the loudest point. thing of the night. Oh yeah. By the way, I, I wish they would just come with a shorter name for that title. Well, that's what people voted on. So. No, they what, didn't. Yeah. Come on. They did not actually vote on that. What, you know that's yeah. true. I didn't say what people. I just said people. Well, Pat? Uh, I think uh, Roman Reigns wins because of interference by the Red Rooster. <laughs> <laughs> and Max Moon. Yep. I think Roman Reigns and then somehow Triple H gets his 15th title on the same night just because. Because WWE, that's why. Um, and then what is probably the most important match, and also the one that seemingly they're gonna fuck up, they're gonna fuck themselves on no matter what they do. Shane McMahon versus the Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match. If Shane wins, he gets control of Monday Night Raw. If Undertaker wins, he gets to come back to WrestleMania. Uh, isn't it, uh, yeah, isn't it Undertaker uh, has to retire? I, I don't know what's going on. I think. It's- my Undertaker is forced to retire. No, it's he's forced. He's not allowed to come back to WrestleMania if he loses. That's what they said. Well, stupid. So he's, he is. He's, he's losing. He go. He lose. He go lose. And uh, not the smartest booked match ever, but because, like we said, this WrestleMania, it's not good. Uh, the winner will be ISIS because <laughs> they will be happy to see all you infidel Americans so depressed over this match. <laughs> They're seeing the terrorists win. Obviously, we are. We're letting the terrorists win with this match. Um, Finn Balor comes in and just destroys both people because this—I don't think any either outcome actually does anything for anybody. Oh, enter the Bullet Club. That would be fantastic. Well, they're going to call it the Balor Club because that's what they've been using in NXT. But I'm, yeah. I'm down with that. I'm down. All right, so that's it for WrestleMania predictions. Um, we are doing the wrap-up stuff. So. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. All right, actually, last words. You got to do last words. So, last words. Uh, well, yeah, my last word is, uh, my God, Red Bulls. Hey, look, win, right? Finally, get the play. I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. Win, baby. Prove me do wrong. It. Prove me wrong and win. All right. So, for Pat Truman and myself, this has been episode number 177 of the Red Bull Rant. Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, go Red Bulls. Peace out. Late.